0: Hello, and welcome to Science for the People. I'm Rachelle Saunders. For the last time today, we're bringing together our favorite science book-loving super readers to tell you which books they loved, which they highly recommend, and what their all-time faves are that they hope you check out. As always, we want you to relax as you listen, so we have a blog post up on our website where you can find the complete list of books discussed on today's show, along with links to where you can buy them if you fancy. Just check the show notes for this episode, and you'll find a link that will take you to the full rec list. If you are thinking of buying one of these books, or any book you hear about on a past episode, check out the book list for this episode or our bookshelf section on our website, where we keep all of them in one big collection for your perusal. And if you use our links to buy these books on Amazon, we do get a little kickback still, usually around 50 cents, for sending you over. Even though we won't be posting any new episodes after 2023 closes, we are still going to keep the website running and the episode archive available as long as we can. So every little bit helps keep that archive up a little longer. Returning for the last time, we have the delightful Joanne Manister, a faculty lecturer in biology at the University of Illinois School of Integrative Biology, and a science educator and communicator who is also known as Science Goddess on Twitter, Mastodon, Threads, and whatever other social media you find yourself on in these days of social media fracture.
1: Hi, Joanne. Hi, it's great to be here and happy to join you for your last final book episode.
0: And also returning for one last time, we have Science for the People's most recurring guest, the wonderful John Dupuis. John is a scholarly publishing librarian and engineering liaison at York University in Toronto and writes a weekly-ish COVID-is-not-over-substack. Hello, John.
2: Hi. Uh, Happy to be back. Sad to to be closing up the shop, but hopeful that... As one door closes, many other doors open.
0: As we always say, all good things come to an end and be sad that it ends, not sad that it happened. So,
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: All right. So we are going to start the same way we always start. But before that, uh, I have given you both a couple of opportunities for uh, instead of just talking about the books you read last year, uh, you've both been given a couple of options to swap a category as you talk about it or as we hit it with a book from beyond this year, maybe far back in your history, something that um, you've been reread you a long time ago and still really love, or maybe recently reread that you want to shout out since this is the last one of these that we'll do. So, for our listeners, keep that in mind. Uh, we've also got some categories at the end since this is the last one of these that we'll do, where I have specifically asked John and Joanne to reach a little farther back into their book lists and give us some recommendations from beyond this year. So, Thinking about this year as a starting point, approximately how many science books have you read?
1: Well, I I think I seem to be on track almost every year for about 60. That turns out to be almost half of the number of total books I read. So usually I hit around 120 or so for a year. And um, so that's about 10 per month, which makes sense, two to three books per week. But about 60 are... um, Popular science, or engineering, or some history, or something that goes in that category.
2: Yeah, I, I hit thirty-six this year, um, which again, just like just like Joanne, is about half of the total number that I read. I think I was a bit lower this year. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't quite get as many uh, science-related graphic novels, and those tend to go a little bit faster. And I think also we're recording a week or two earlier than we have in past years so i probably would have also been able to squeeze in another book or two had we uh ended up recording more around the beginning of december
1: i think that's true i think that's true i uh, i noticed this year um i had a very busy march and i'm on goodreads and i'm on story Graph, the story graph and I noticed since the story graph, they have this chart of number of books you read and you'd see this big dip in March and then it goes back up in April. I was recording new lectures for my class, so I was a little busy.
0: <laughs> it's funny to look at some of those trending graphs that some of those tools have where you can see either big spikes or big dips. And it's easy to remember for this year, but sometimes you go back and look at previous years and go, what happened that April? That's weird. That's right. <laughs> exactly. It's always fun. And,
2: and sometimes you just hit a book that bogs you down. Yeah. Right. True. You know, so and true. that's, and, and you know, I don't think that really happened this year. Although, again, I did hit a little. Yeah. You know, there's always you're going to hit a week or two where for whatever reason you're busy. You just don't feel inspired. And, you know, certainly that happened a couple times this year.
0: So how was 2023 overall for science books? Better? Worse than the average? Showing on par?
1: Well, for me personally, I thought it was a fantastic year. I read so many books and i that I really enjoyed and I felt were informative and i of course, I think every year there's some great books. but this year just seemed to really find me reading books a little bit different than uh you know, out of my wheelhouse, something really unique where I was surprised by what was in there, what I learned, and I yeah. I was just. It was really hard to narrow down top books this year.
2: Yeah, from it was the same for me as well. I think it was a it was a uh, a really amazing year, as usual. I think it you know it started a bit slow, a, a bit slowly. It was a bit it was. It's always hard to find a couple of good books to read in kind of the January February before mm-hmm. you know the big book release seasons uh, hit. But yeah, there was a ton of really, really interesting books this year. and more than most years, I've hit the end of the year with still a, a pretty significant stack
1: uh, Me too. To, cat- Me to catch to catch
2: up on. you know mm-hmm. we we'll, I guess we'll you know we'll get to that a little bit later. but yeah, I still have, you know about I think two or three books that are just waiting to and waiting to be read. and probably as we're what we're talking today all I'll be able to add a couple more to that list as well.
1: <laughs> me too.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it was a, a, a for me. It was I think an exceptional year.
0: Oh, well, that's good to hear. Um, I think a lot of the pre the last uh, series of years we've had very on par, pretty average, pretty average. So it's kind of interesting to hear that uh, for both of you, it sounds like it's been a a solid standout year in the last few. So what kind of books have you found yourself looking for this year, maybe compared to previous years? Any themes jump out at you when you were preparing for this episode?
1: Um, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I always look at which books are highly anticipated, you know, authors that never miss, right? I always look for those. Um, But mostly, I end up looking for a book where I can learn something new. And it turns out I had a lot of those. this year. And, uh, and there were a few books that are in my field of cell biology that came out that I go, I should check those out. Cause sometimes I'll just get a new perspective on the field or, or even, um, just a refresher, a new way of explaining something. So, but I don't think I was looking for something different this year. I feel like the past couple of years, maybe I was looking for a good COVID explainer or the vaccine development books and things like that, but um, nothing like that this year, I felt.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's about the same. I, I think maybe I was looking for, you know, some kind of big picture books, maybe a little bit more than usual. And, you know, I did find there was the good COVID explainer, right? The lessons from the COVID war by the COVID crisis group. And and so, you know, that that kind of definitely scratched that itch, although I didn't probably read as many COVID books as I thought I would or was maybe planning to. So, yeah, I think I was looking for that. I mean, and certainly the last book I ended up reading, again, scratched that kind of big picture. What what the heck is going on uh, in the world kind of book. And that was the Peter Hotez book, The Deadly Rise of, of Anti-Science. And which I like I said was the, the last book that I read.
0: All right. So looking back over all the years we've been doing this, I'm curious to know if there's any trends you've noticed, either about the world of science books or your reading. What has doing this uh, for this podcast and talking about it every year kind of made you think about or looking back on it? Any any takeaways?
2: Yeah,
1: so I definitely noticed that topics ebb and flow. There's the hot topic of the year, or you know, three or four years and for many years. I'm thinking starting around 2015, 2016, neuroscience was the hot topic. Things like space travel uh, will ebb and flow genetics and genomics. Climate change has been very popular in the past few years, as has nature and rewilding. And a lot of books about, you know, where do we fit in climate change? What can we do? How can we feel better about, you know, it's it's an existential crisis, knowing your earth could be many degrees warmer and cause all sorts of catastrophes. So there's been a lot of books about your place in all of this. And then of course, COVID-19. And I feel like we are, almost every book I read has a little mention. So this was done during COVID-19 and blah, 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 blah. So they talk, whether the book is about COVID-19 or not, there is something about COVID-19 in the past couple of years of books. And that's probably gonna continue for a few more years.
2: Yeah, for me, I think, you know, one of the really interesting things about the this exercise over the course of the last 10 years or so for me is it has kind of forced me to read a lot more widely than i was before and maybe to read things that i yeah and again just to read more widely to read things that i wouldn't have necessarily uh, picked up before and it's also been kind of at focus um you know, I talked a lot last year about incandescent rage. And right, so there's been that it's so it, it is a way to kind of focus on what's going on in the world. And so that's kind of the trend that I've noticed, right, is I'm using these readings, this exercise to explore the world. And so what's what's the trend really been for me? I, I mean, I tend to look a lot for, I think, more and more for things that are narrative based. I think it, when I look back at the at the earlier years, I was much more likely to read things that were just "oh, explain this to me," and now that I'm reading a lot of those books, um, I, I think I, I want a little bit more of that uh, narrative. I'm also looking for humor a lot more. I'm also looking to kind of push the envelope, and and you know, look for something that's. I guess formally a little bit different, that's that that has a little bit of a different approach. And I think of you know a couple of the one, examples from the last couple of years, like How to Take Over the World by Ryan North, or The Playbook <laughs> by Jennifer Jackett. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so those, those are actually really interesting books because they they're they certainly help me focus that incandescent rage, but they also have a lot of humor, right? There's a very wry black humor in those books in those books that really appeals to me and they are also kind of that that really interesting they're 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 wrapping their message in a really interesting narrative and so the you know all of those things together is the trend that i'm looking for and you know and i thought that was you know and so yeah so thinking about what 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 this 10-year project has, how this 10-year project has changed me. That's kind of where I see.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that, John, because I I share a lot of those sentiments, not necessarily exclusively for just uh, what we're doing now, which is looking, uh, the act of looking back every year about the books we've read. But for me, the act of doing this podcast, because the vast majority of the interviews I've done have been book-based interviews. I've read the book, I've spoken to the person who wrote that book about the contents of the book that I read. And because I was always doing it for the podcast, I 100% understand what you say when you say you reached out I sort of actively reached out farther and outside your comfort zone, looking for something different, looking to create breadth rather than just depth. And I definitely, especially the last half of my time with the podcast, specifically went in search, not of specific things I hadn't done yet quite often, but of just looking through books and wanting something that I hadn't... It would never have even struck me to look for that book. And those were always the ones I think that I remembered and that I continue to remember the most is just looking through upcoming book lists in Amazon or getting sent something from a publisher and going, someone wrote a book about krill? Really? <laughs> there's, there's enough to write a pop science book about krill? I'm in, send me this book, right? And so and that's not something I could never have envisioned a world where I would look at a book about Krill and go, "Yeah, I definitely want to read that." Um, and so what a great joy the podcast has been in forcing me to reach far, far outside my concept of what a science book is. And it so much of what I've read has taught me a lot, which has been so great.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I look at it that way too, in a way. I'm often thinking to myself, there's a book how I want to read. How does it fit? Right? How do I make this into a science book? And, uh, and so yeah, a good example of that one for me this year was the, the latest by Sarah Kenzior, right? Hmm. Dictatorship. It's easier than you think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how does that become? And it's really interesting. I find that to be a really interesting mental process. Right. How do I, you know, that's a book that you think, oh, it's not a science book. But no, in a way, when you look at the authoritarian regimes around the world, what's their main tool of oppressing their population, right? It's a lot of it, it has to do with technology. right? right? Or, and so, or
1: convincing people that scientists don't know what they're talking about. Right. right? Like we just talked about Peter Hotez's book.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, so that, you know, that's, it's been, it's, it's, there's been an interesting push and pull, you know, and like I said, you know, I think it's interesting for me to think about how this 10 year project of doing this podcast has changed me. Right. And, and I think, and I think that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a really uh, powerful way of, of looking at that. Right. Cause it's making me, it's making me make connections where I, where I wouldn't even have bothered thinking about them before. Right. Ten years ago, I never would have bothered reading a book about dictatorship. It's easier than you think. Right. Because I wouldn't have seen I wouldn't have seen the connections.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's start to dig into the meat of why we're here. Starting with best book you've read this year, who gets the coveted prize of best book?
1: This this is so hard because I literally have like 10 that I thought, these are stellar, and then 10 more that are, okay, just good, but an almost stellar. So it was really, really hard for me to share. But if I have to choose one, but I'll probably tell you a couple others, but number one is Crossings, How Road Ecology is Shaping the Future of Our Planet by Ben Goldfarb. And he wrote a book a few years ago called Eager, about how beavers affect ecology, and this book is about how humans have altered the natural world, uh, you know, by building roads and not just not just the uh, building a bridge for animals to cross or a tunnel for animals to go under the road, but really how, you know, this affects how animals breed and meet and migrate and yeah, and what Roadkill tells us about ecology. It was a phenomenal, fascinating book. So I had to give that my top, top spot. And um, my second uh, that I put in this list is called Up to Speed, The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes by Christine Yu. Now I'm not an athlete, but many people in my family uh, you know, do ultra marathons or biking or whatever. And this book was so well science informed. It's not just, oh, Let's just talk that women are different. I mean, she gave studies and that the way women should uh, train and uh, compete and the equipment they should use really needs to be tailored for women, not just we're smaller than men, you know, so we need smaller seats or smaller shoes or something that it really, things really need to change. It was fascinating, very fascinating. So I just had to throw in two of those because it, it was really hard to choose.
2: Well, I definitely have added those to my uh, to read list for next year. Uh, they I both know. Have. Thanks to you, uh,
1: John. I've added so many books to my list every single year.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, one of the great things about doing this podcast. So for me, this was, again, just so difficult. And, you know, if we were if we recorded this yesterday, or tomorrow, I could go with my second choice. But and and you know, hopefully we'll get to, we'll get to my second choice a little bit later on. Uh, but this year, I'm going to go with fire weather, a true story from this. a hotter world uh, by john valent, which I think to me was, you know, a, a, a wonderfully written science book about it's about the fort mcmurray fires of 2016 the the forest fires in northern alberta and so again it's in many ways for me it's the perfect science book right because it it it's suffused with incandescent rage but it's also got this amazing scientific you know thrust theory You know, it just, it's just basically all about how the climate, how climate change has changed forests and, and changed the human relationship with forests and with fire and forests. So there's a lot in there that's the kind of the day to day recounting of essentially the destruction and evacuation of a a medium sized city in Northern Alberta. There's also the, the irony of how closely tied Fort McMurray is with fossil fuel extraction right the the oil sands in northern alberta and it's also there's also a lot there that is very directly about you know climate the crisis and 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 what's going on in that sense so for me in in many ways it's a, a very very memorable book and certainly you know certainly uh you know a good choice for me for the for the best for the best pick of the year now i always i always mention uh um a graphic novel as well, and this one. And so for me, it wasn't a great year for graphic novels, but for me, for the the best one that I read this year, I'll put The Bomb, The Weapon That Changed the World by Didier Alcant, uh, Laurent-Frédéric Bollet, and Denis Rodier, a book from French translated into English by uh, Ivanka Hanenberger. I, I did end up reading the English one. I didn't see. I didn't see. I think the French version was was for, from a few years ago. I didn't get. To, I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I saw it at the time. But anyway,s it's it's quite a nice. It's quite a nice history. A uh, more of a social than technical history of of the development of the bomb uh, and the kind of the impact. Uh, you know, uh, sort of the social impact of the development of the uh, the atomic bomb during World War II
1: wow and if you don't mind me jumping in about fire weather well he was a finalist for the national book award and the gifford bailey baby gifford prize and um, in the uk so that book and it was really good it's in one of my categories coming up but definitely that's one contender for my top book
2: so yeah, i mean it's it's really interesting choosing that one right because you know certainly here in toronto we had smoke days last summer, right? And, you know, we spent my, you know, my my wife and I spent part of the summer in Montreal and when we were in Montreal, you know, we had smoke days. We we brought one of our portable horsey Rosenthal uh, filter, air filters uh, to, you know, around with us in our, on our travels and we used it within you know that where we were staying, and i you know I bought one of those p m two point five sensors so i could I could measure things, at, you know the air quality where we were going. so so in that sense, you know fire weather really resonated as well, right? because we in a, in a sense we, last summer we were going through that,
1: yes, excellent timing for his book, actually, yeah, yeah for sure. What about a book that pleasantly surprised you? Um, So let's look here. So uh, this one was a pleasant surprise, Uh, Period, The Real Story of Menstruation by Kate Clancy, who is a colleague here at the University of Illinois. And she's an anthropologist. I'm a biologist. And I thought, I'm going to read this book. It's going to be, okay, I'm a woman. I'm a biologist. So I understand everything about this. But that's just not the case. I learned so much. Uh, about the anthropology and also some talking about gender and everything like that it was so eye opening and like i said surprising because i'm so used to a book that's just about the biology and she talked about the different stages in our lives when we are you know uh you know having a period or not having a period things like that it was it was excellent and i recommend it for anybody who's interested
2: Yeah, I mean, what I thought about this year is, gee, wouldn't it have been nice if, over the course of this last decade, we'd also talked about the work, the books that had uh, most bitterly disappointed us, and because I think in some ways, in some ways, that's almost more interesting. And so, yeah, so I did have, and I've I've never mentioned a bitterly, I don't think I've ever mentioned a bitterly disappointing book before, but this year I will mention. That aside, from the the one that pleasantly surprised me, because I tend not to read a lot of kind of human health books, because I find the science a little, you know, I I just find I find it hard to really grasp and you know really fixate on on a lot of what's going on in the books. But this year I, really, I read Ultra Processed People: The Science Behind Food That Isn't Food by Chris Van Tulliken. and and I thought. It was really good and, and I think made a very strong case for paying a little bit more attention to the ingredients list when we're buying foods. Uh, but the one that bitterly disappointed me this year, it was kind of a prequel to, you know, the the landmark book, Merchants of Doubt by Oreskes, uh, Naomi Oreskes and uh, Eric Conway. And this one was The Big Myth, How American Business Taught Us to Low Government and Love the Free Market. This book is essentially, like I said, kind of a a prequel to Merchants of Doubt, where Merchants of Doubt showed us how big companies hijack science. This one is basically telling us about how to set up the hijack of science. Big business basically took over the world first and and, and took over government and the free market and all of those things. While really valuable, I think the book ultimately is, was so dry and academic and arid and just such a tough slog to read through that I think it, it, it made it really hard to absorb the lessons. And so that's why I was disappointed, right? It was such a valuable book but it could have been presented in a way that was uh, so much more accessible, That I, I found it kind of disappointing.
1: Wow. Thanks for the heads up on that one. Um.
2: So yeah, just, you know, if you can find the <laughs> cold notes version of that one, you just know, re-
1: go through that. Yeah. Wow. Let's go through that. Yeah. I did. Or read her, and I read a ultra process people too. That was fascinating. And it's somewhere in my answers here. So I'll get back to that later. <laughs>
0: What about a book that changed your mind about something?
1: Um, well, I, I go back to The Crossings, how we wrote Ecology is Shaping the Future of Our Planet, because I just, I, I don't know if it changed my mind so much as just opened my eyes. I never really thought about this. And, you know, I just think, oh, roadkill, whatever, it happens. But just that it really affects the ecology of. Everywhere. We're not just talking, you know, major highways running through the middle of the U.S., but everywhere. Yeah, I would say that book really opened my eyes, changed my mind, made me look at roads much differently.
2: Yeah, and speaking of infrastructure, uh, I never thought anyone would be able to write a really interesting book about how important technical standards are, but in fact. Uh, someone has, and that's uh, how infrastructure works inside the systems that shape our world by Deb Chakra, a really, really fascinating book, just suffused with a, like a really refreshing optimism and positivity about how we can just tackle so many of the problems that we're facing in the world just by paying more attention to you know to roads to electric to electricity generation to all of those things and i think in particular the parts on on how we could use renewable energy of various kinds to 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 really transform society in a positive way in a lot of ways it's a book on how to solve the climate crisis in an all gain no pain kind of way, perhaps a little too optimistic. Maybe uh, I'll get to the to the flip side of of this book maybe a little bit later on, but um, but yeah, you know this was a this was a really interesting book, and uh, I would highly recommend.
0: Now I want to know, what book couldn't you put down? I think a lot of people don't think about gripping as uh, words describe science books, but the three of us,
1: no different. We do. And this is where I can talk about Fire Weather. Um, I really could not put it down. Fire Weather, A True Story from a Hotter World by John Bryant, And it was just so excellently told. And he deserves all the accolades and all the awards he is getting, the recognition. It is so well told. And, you know, the, I guess, excitement, I guess, or the danger of a fire and having to, you know, it's starting here. And you've got a human story to it, as well as just as the science. I loved it. I loved it. If he writes, I know he has another book, but if he writes future books, I will be reading them. And my other book, I'll add, that's uh, fairly related, came out almost the same time as The Heat Will Kill You First, Life and Death on a Scorched Planet by Jeff Goodell. I loved his previous book called The Water Will Come. And he just has a great way, again, of including personal stories in with the climate. How is climate change affecting people? And his book came out exactly as Arizona is baking under the heat. And it was really uh, timely and fascinating.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I really want to read. I really wanted to read *The Heat Will Kill You* first, but but somehow, but somehow, I just couldn't add one more really depressing book to my list this year. <laughs> totally understand. <laughs> right. um, the book that I couldn't put down, and I think this one was my second place, my second favorite book of the year, and so. Um, so, yeah, so this one, you know, so again, if we were recording this tomorrow or yesterday, this one could have ended up being my first, my first place. And that's the last cold place, a field season studying pen- penguins in Antarctica by Nera de Garcia. And so this is basically the story of spending a couple of seasons in Antarctica at, you know, uh, a fields a field lab studying penguins as a, a tech. And it's, in a, in a lot of ways, it's very novelistic. It's memoirs, but it's very nov- novelistic. It could almost be the setup for a really amazing adventure novel. And so, yeah, and so just the story and how it related uh, to Garcia's uh, life in in Antarctica with penguin science and Arctic science, Um, you know, I thought to me, that was, that was, you know, the ideal combination of how to make a science book more than a, well, not just a science book, a people book too. And, you know, I always hate this thing, oh, that book transcended the genre, because I, you know, I think that's kind of a silly way to look at these things. A good science book is a good science book. It is uh, being a good science book doesn't make it more than or transcending a science book. But I think this is the perfect example of how to write a good science book that's also a good people book.
1: That sounds great. I knew it was out. I just didn't get around to reading it. So now it's on the list.
0: Amazing. I think uh, half of this for us is often figuring out what books haven't I read yet that hopefully one of these two has so that I can put it on my list and help prioritize my Christmas reading. So, what about books you'd like to read again? I don't know how avid a rereaders we all are when it comes to science books, but even though sometimes I don't get around to rereading a book, sometimes I'm aware of while I'm reading it thinking in my head. I really want to read this again, because I feel like now that I've read the whole book, I missed something earlier in, or maybe I just want to read it more
1: closely. Absolutely. I have one I want to read again. So I teach a course on genomics in the summer for the university. And the, there was a book out called, What's in Your Genome? 90% of Your Genome is Junk by biochemist Lawrence Moran. And, well, he's pretty cranky about this whole topic because, yeah, you know, after we um, sequenced the gene- human genome, then everybody's getting in trying to annotate, trying to understand what different parts of the genome is talking about. And there was this project called the ENCODE Project. And in the end, the ENCODE Project said, oh, 90% of your genome is not junk. There's a function for all of it. But it really wasn't that compelling. And he absolutely still believes a lot of our genome is junk because of the way evolution has been happening, random genetic drifts. So this may be more technical than some people. It is a technical book. So people who don't want to know about genomics probably may not find it that interesting but I want to read it again because, uh, first of all, for that genomics class, but also because in a way I agreed with him. He says, you know what? If you don't know the history of the field, you can come up with erroneous conclusions. And you know, if you don't fully understand your field, so you just focus on the small area without looking at what's happened in the past, you're going to make mistakes. And I feel that's true with reading popular science books. This helps us understand the broader picture of all fields of science. And it's especially useful for people who, you know, I think when you study for your PhD, you don't always get the full picture of what's happened. You know, if you're 23 years old right now and you're studying something, you, don't, you probably don't really have a good idea of what happened in the 50s and 60s in your field. And I feel like this is an important role for popular science books. They can play, they can help give you the background, the people who played roles in this. Anyway, so I think I will be rereading that mainly because it could be useful to me. Um, but yeah, it was it was a hard read, actually. It was a, not as in technical language, but just, wow, you know, you you really gotta think about your science. You, you can't just go, oh, isn't this nice, look what I found. It was, it was very intriguing.
2: So yeah, for me, this one was a pretty easy one to choose. Of uh, the books that I read this year that could uh, that I would really want to read again would be The Climate Book, The Facts and Solutions by Greta Thunberg. Because it is, it is very, very, very dense. Uh, a lot of facts, a lot of graphs. There's just a it's just a very, very thick, very dense, uh, very intense. And so, yeah, so I think that's a book that, that would definitely, uh, you know, benefit from a rereading. But I'm going to time travel this one as well. So um, on the same topic, I do remember a book that I read a few years ago that actually was one of my favorite all time climate related graphic novels or science related graphic novels. Climate Change, A Personal Journey Through the Science by Philippe Scorzoni. And I thought that one was you know, an interesting compliment to the to, to the Thunberg book in that it it uses a very narrative, personal story way of actually explaining the facts in a very, very detailed way. So, so yeah, so I thought they, the, the, that's a good time travel pairing on this one.
0: Our first time traveler. Excellent. I look forward to more. What about the funniest science book you read this year?
1: So for me, for this year, it's um, uh, the um, the new one by Kelly and Zach Weiner Smith called "A City on Mars." Can we settle space? Should we settle space? And have we really thought this through? Of course, uh, they always write something humorous. They see the humor in some of the concepts people have decided on. And I thought always their books are great. They wrote Soonish, which probably was the funniest book I read that year when it came out, in a bit of a time travel. And if I do a time travel for Funniest Science Book, (laughs) I this isn't fair, but Anything by Mary Roach. So I've time traveled multiple times here because she has really, really funny books.
0: I mean, if anyone deserves it, it's Mary Roach for sure. Just blanket if Mary Roach wrote the book, you should probably read it
1: <laughs> exactly. and will be the funniest book you read that year. <laughs> she has
0: a genre. She does it very well, excellent,
2: so yeah. so for me, you know, if anything over the last ten years, it's it's probably pretty obvious that I really like dark humor. The Bleaker, and more hopeless the better so for me it's got to be i want a better catastrophe navigating the climate crisis with grief hope and gallows humor by andrew boyd so the premise of this book is that basically you know we're screwed that the climate crisis has reached a tipping point and that effectively we're all going to die and where he goes from that is kind of a, a travelogue through his own grief about this realization. And, and, and again, and so, yeah, there is a lot of gallows humor. There is a lot of wry asides. And so, yeah, so I thought for me, it was, it was kind of a, you know, and I, again, reading it, uh, so I guess towards the end of the summer, after all the wildfires and everything it seemed like it seemed like a pretty a pretty perfect book a little bit of catch up for me also in this in this category was i did finally get around to reading uh department of mind-blowing theories by tom gall which is a bunch of science related uh, newspaper comic strips which was actually was really really hilarious and i'm also going to mention mary roach as my time travel uh grunts stiff Uh Fuzz, Packing for Mars. Uh, All of her books are really fantastic. And I will mention again Ryan North, right? How to invent everything is a you know uh quite a fun book from from a few years ago.
1: Isn't it great that it's so easy to time travel with funny books? Yes. Definitely. Uh
0: not surprised to see some time travelers pop up in that category. What about the most informative? Which one made you learn something? And I've i i th- I've had some feedback sometimes that this category feels very similar to the book that changed your mind about something, which is true. But also I find that changing my mind is, I always learn something when I change my mind, but sometimes I learn something without changing my mind, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I don't even know why I picked this book in the first place, to tell you the truth, because I thought, oh, fine, I live in the middle, I live in the Midwest, there are no ships and boats, etc. But I picked up the book, Reading the Glass, A Captain's View of Weather, Water, and Life on Ships. And it's about the atmosphere and how it moves and changes and the patterns, like, the storms, the winds, the jet streams, air masses, and of course, climate. And because my oldest son is an atmospheric scientist, I thought, huh, maybe this could be interesting. And it was absolutely fascinating. I learned so much. And I might read it again, just because it was a joy to read. And um I'll say another book that was a personal favorite. It, it speaks to me because I'm allergic to many things. But there was a book by Teresa McPhail called Allergic, Our Irritated Bodies in a Changing World. This may not be of interest to everybody, but I did learn one little tidbit is that interleukin 4, which is a cytokine produced by our cells, actually creates a lot of these allergic responses or amplifies it. But IL-4's presence also indicates um, the ability to have great memory and learning skills. So if you're missing IL-4, your, your memory and your learning skills may be weaker, but you'll also have fewer allergies. So when you think of all those nerds in your classes and how many actually probably also had allergies, I thought that was super interesting. So I feel, I feel like, okay, maybe this has been a good thing for my life uh, if IL-4 has a good and bad side, if you would say. So that was a a tidbit I learned that I thought was really fascinating. And I liked her book because, again, it was really science informed. This study, this researcher, this, you know, everything relating back to um, processes and things we've learned over the years. It was very good.
2: So, yeah, for me, I think it would have to be uh, Pathogenesis, A History of the World in Eight Plagues by Jonathan Kennedy. So, and this was this was easily one of the, for me, one of the best books that I read this year. This is one of the ones that was really in contention for that top book of the year. And basically, the the you know, basically the book is about the history of pandemics, epidemics, that sort of thing. And I think the the main lesson for this, you know, the one that why this might be the not COVID COVID book that everyone should read in that it, because it, the lesson that it teaches us is, you know, don't think something is over when it isn't over. Right. And, and that these kinds of, and that, 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 that these kinds of global pandemics last longer than you think they're going to last. Things take longer than you think to get back, to really get back to normal. And that, you know, things that you, things that you're, that you think are done can come back to bite you on the butt. So very, very, you know, very interesting book. Um, you know, highly recommended. Uh, and, and, and I think it's the kind of book that, you know, I could easily see as a school's, uh, picking as their, uh, this is the book we're going to all read together this year. And so it's really that kind of a book. It's history and science, but it's also, a, you know. So, yeah, so I thought it was really good.
1: It It, it is a pretty good book. I read it, and uh, I ha- I help out with a class called Emerging Infectious Disease at the university. And uh, so I thought, hmm, this could be a good one to incorporate with the class for sure, because it really covers all the different um, major plagues, major pathogens. It's, it's, it is very interesting.
2: Right and it, and like I said the message is it ain't over till it's over. And even then.
0: Even when you think it's over, maybe it's not over.
2: If, exactly.
0: <laughs> what about the best science history book or perhaps a
1: science biography that you read? Um so I chose The Exceptions Nancy Hopkins MIT and the Fight for Women in Science. And this is the book about a woman scientist who well the most famous story about her is that was well, she she knew there was some inequalities but she didn't have the hard evidence so one thing she did among other things one thing she did was to actually go in this you know the security of the night and sneak around and measure offices and lab space and discovered that men had so much more lab space and office space than any of the women scientists. So that's just one thing. But the the whole story of um, this time and how MIT responded appropriately, recognized the problem, you know, women scientists came together signed letters and it's a book about administration as well so that's always frustrating university administration but um how how this in this instance this worked out really well for women at mit women scientists and so i really really enjoyed it and kate Cernicki was i believe with the boston globe and broke the story but um uh, several years ago, but now she's written a whole book to go with it, it was very, very good. And of course, I'm reading through it. And being that she was in cell biology, molecular biology, there's big names in molecular biology where I went, oh, that's too bad that guy was like that, or you know what I mean, like, uh, you know, we always learn the ugly truth about people, you know, whether we want to or not. But um, also, I I want to do a time travel on this one. I read a book from nineteen ninety eight uh, called Walking Out on the Boys. and this is by the first woman neurosurgeon in the u s, Frances K. Conley. and she was trained at Stanford and she was she became a neurosurgeon during the time that uh, I guess you just knew you had to play along like the boys to to advance, to do things. and and, as women would then sort of show her discrimination and um, sexism and harassment and things like that, like at first, she didn't want to believe it. But this book was like her evolution into understanding what it means to look for fairness and equality and being, yeah, be just being treated with respect in this very tough field of science and especially surgery. It was a difficult read, you know, because you reckon, and even in the exceptions, as a woman in science, I recognize these slights, these, uh, you know, discriminations, I recognize it, you live it, and then yet to see it, so, but what I liked about walking out on the boys was this, um, her evolution to understanding, and then becoming, pardon me, someone who started to speak out about it, and apparently she was Quite uh, because of it was very high profile when she walked out on Stanford surgery, um, neurosurgery, that, you know, she was wanted as a guest on all the top shows on TV uh, for news programs and 60 Minutes and things like that. So I it was a peek into a world I wasn't aware of. Um, I mean, I guess I missed it. I was busy raising kids or something, so I missed out on this story. So it's very informative.
2: Yeah, well, so there's there's a book that's that's on my list now. I think I really want to, to track back and catch that one as well. And in fact, the book that I've chosen here is kind of related in a way. It's a novel, actually, The Woman with the Cure by Lynn Cullen. And um based on a true you know it's based it's basically a true story of of dr dorothy horseman who uh worked on the polio vaccine with albert sabin and and all the rest of them and did a lot of really important work but of course didn't get any of the credit and so like i said it's a novel so it does build a fair bit i I think you know unfortunately again you know i think that the lot of women in science you know um she's not someone that we actually know a lot about, and so I think that the novel builds a fair bit around her life i think extrapolating and and that sort of thing but it's actually it's actually quite a it's it's quite a good novel it's it's um uh quite episodic in nature it it kind of follows her story through several decades and again it's it it there the slights are there, the insults um you know the taking for granted. So yeah, it's it's quite a it's quite a devastating novel in that in that sense, and it's also really interesting in that we you know it's set in the pre-polio vaccine world, and so we get a lot of insights into what that pre-vaccine world was like. Something that I think we've forgotten about, and that how devastating polio was, and how devastating uh, the polio outbreaks were. And and you know the fear the fear that they inspired in people, and so yeah, so very very interesting book. So I'm gonna try. I mean, I am gonna time travel here as well. And and this is a book that I actually think about a lot, especially in the modern world. And that's uh, uh, Planck, driven by vision, broken by war, by uh, Brandon Arbour, and and it's about Max Planck, uh, the the German scientist and it's about his role you know basically he was you know the titan of german science in the you know late 19th century through the early early 20th century and he was quite elderly by the time the nazis came to power but basically he tried to kind of make the best of it and you know go along to get along and and for someone who was such a titan and such a giant, it was sadly pathetic, I think, the way that he tried to make the best of it. And it's a book that haunts me, right? Just, again, you know, you're in this horrible situation and you just try and make the best of it. And like I said, it's a book that haunts me. And I think it's a book that, you know, I, I think has a lot of resonance for the modern world.
0: Next up are two of my personal favorite categories, because this is these are categories that I actually get the most utility in outside the podcast, so I always look forward to getting the recommendations for these two categories. Uh, the first one is a book you would give the person in your life who doesn't usually read science books, because all us science nerds, we have people that we know who we think you should read more science. What science can I give you that's not going to maybe feel like science that's going to hook you? What's
1: the slippery slope? What's the top of that slope? Um, so I, I actually wrote four here, but uh, the top one I would recommend is Ultra Processed People, The Science Behind Food That Isn't Food by Chris Van Tolkien, that John has already spoken about. Very informative. Everybody cares about what they eat or or they should, anyway. And uh, so I feel like that could be a very uh, good way to be introduced to science. The other one I'll go with, I'm not sure, for instance, if my mother would read it, but a lot of people I know would. It's called Fancy Bear Goes Fishing, Fishing with PH, and it's The Dark History of the Information Age in Five Extraordinary Hacks by Scott Shapiro, who's an expert on computer hacking, so it just tells the story of famous hacks that have happened through the years, and you know what's the difference between a virus and a hack and a this and of that. So he spells it all out. It's so clear, very accessible. Definitely recommend by anybody who might be interested in computers.
2: So the ones I've chosen for for this category are ones that kind of work as adventure novels, and. Again, one of the ones that was vying for the top spot right to the last moment was *The Underworld: Journeys to the Depths of the Ocean* by Susan Casey, and it's basically a very personal history of, you know, deep sea diving devices and capsule capsules and submarines and that sort of thing. Uh, not about the the one that went horribly wrong a year or so ago it doesn't quite get that far into the into the present but it's like a really really fascinating book about casey's about her adventures and her desire to go down to the deep ocean in one of these submersibles as well as a lot about the extremely colorful as as one can imagine a world that is populated by extremely colorful characters And so, again, there's a lot of science, there's a lot about the ocean, there's a lot about the environment, there's a lot about technology. So a really fascinating book. And the other one is um, the Dirty Tricks Department, Stanley Lovell, the OSS, and the Masterminds of World War II, Secret Warfare. I mean, I just love these kinds of books. Just a lot of kind of James Bond spy stuff. Uh, You know, I'll time travel on this one. Uh, One of my favorite books. All time was The Bastard Brigade by Sam Keane from a couple years ago. And this one's very reminiscent of that one. Uh, and in fact, highlights a few of the same characters and events. But anyways, yeah, the Dirty Tricks Department, uh, cheesy spy novel, uh, kind of disguising an actually rather interesting science and technology book.
1: Uh, Sam Keane is great at writing these books that are accessible to everybody. Very interesting, right? Yeah, I think he does a great job in this category.
0: What about the opposite of that? Again, a category I find absolute utility in, which is a book you would give the avid science reader who has read everything. What I'm basically saying is the three of us, we've read a lot of science, we continue to read a lot of science.
1: What would someone recommend to us, maybe? Well, I'm going to go with one I've already talked about, called "What's in Your Genome?" Ninety percent of your genome is junk, by biochemist Lawrence Moran. And again, he's just his whole message was, you know, uh, people are making proclamations about what's in the genome without knowing the history of our study and a bigger picture of ecology and evolution. And so, I feel like that's like really important for. Yeah, people who read everything. There's, I've not read a book like this before. So I felt like, yeah, that would be a good one.
2: So I think the best science book that I've read in the last 10 years is probably The Death and Life of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan. Which I think is in a lot of ways the absolute perfect science book because it it's solid on research but it tells a personal story and it and it has a narrative that shows why the science that it's explaining is so important to us and luckily Dan Egan has has a new book the devil's element phosphorus and a world out of balance which i think you know i think was a little under the radar this year maybe a little bit And so I think it might be a book that a lot of avid science readers might have missed. And so it's a book that has a lot of great science about how we're over-phosphorizing our our food chain, the damage we've done to the planet trying to over-phosphorize our food chain, and again, just a, a lot of, you know, really good history, a lot of really good story, a lot of really good narrative. So again, just a, a a really excellent book that again on another day I easily could have made my favorite of the year.
0: You know, one of the interesting things, John, about the Death and Life of the Great Lakes is I actually have recommended it both to people who don't usually read science and to people who read a lot of science. It's one of these great books that is just so readable and also has so much information in it and is so dense in some ways, but kind of excessively dense, I have, I have absolutely recommended it in both categories and had good results from those recommendations. So I'm super glad one of you mentioned that book.
2: And like yeah. I said, it might, it, it's, I think, I mean, I thought a lot about this over the course of the last few weeks, right? Uh, what was the best book that I've read since I've been doing this kind of crazy project, right? And I think this one is actually, you know, pretty significantly ahead of, of that, uh, you know, uh, on the top of that list. Because like I said, the more I think about it, the more it's just the perfect popular science book. And so in the other one here that I'll just throw in quickly, um, because it is about interoperability and digitification and the good and evil of, of the tech world that we found ourselves in, is I'll throw in the internet con, how to seize the means of computation by Cory Doctorow. Which again, I think for a lot of science readers probably would not uh, delve into something that is so kind of tech focused. But you know, Corey uh, O's books are always a great read,
0: especially if you're someone that likes incandescent rage.
2: Absolutely, he's yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, and yeah. you know, there's
2: a there's uh, he's he's such a good writer that he can really pull that out of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yes, I, I would definitely recommend.
1: Yeah, I wasn't quick enough to jump in about the death and life of the Great Lakes because that was the first episode I was on with you, John. And when you recommended that, I went and checked it out and I love it. And because his other book came out, um, I went and reread that book. And I know that's a question later, but I reread it this year. It's still as wonderful as ever. So, um, but um, yeah, I love investigative journalist books with science. They're always amazing, always amazing.
0: Next up, science fiction books, because we're all nerds here, and we like our science in nonfiction and fiction varieties.
1: So I read only one this year, and it wasn't because I oh, I knew I have to read one because it's going to be on this list. I only read one. And I just I think I was so enthralled with all of our science. But it's the um, what's it called? I think it's just called Machine. And it's by Elizabeth Baer, who has won awards, uh, different categories of Hugo Awards for her writing. So I decided to read that. And it's just about um, a machine sort of taking over a spaceship and the inhabitants on there. And so very sort of scary AI kind of stuff. But I enjoyed it, even though it was the only one I got to this year.
2: So yeah, just a couple of quick hits here. Um, I did read the, uh, Cory Doctorow, one of Cory Doctorow's uh, novels, his, 2000, his 2023 novel, uh, Red Team Blues. It's his first Martin Hench book, and it's about this... Uh, this is not going to sound like it's so exciting, but Martin Hench is a forensic accountant. And so this is the book is about his adventures in de some Kind of the tech world a little bit and using his powers of forensic accounting for good rather than evil. and so, but just it's very as, tech focused just as
0: a sidebar. I have talked to forensic accountants. It sounds like that should be boring until you think about it a little bit, actually exactly super interesting
2: and so this is going to be a new series by Dr. Rowe. and so I'm um, and his his best book, his best novels are his short ones because they're 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 Focused like daggers and this is very much as a book that's a focus like a dagger uh, so but this year i also enjoyed um you know i caught up on one of the older kathy reich's books uh the you know forensic forensic novels um, uh, uh bones are forever and a cool one that came out this year that's again one of my own weird little uh, uh obsessions uh but edited by James Aquilone. Uh Kolchak, the Night Stalker, 50th anniversary graphic novel collection. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm probably the only one here old enough to remember uh, the Night Stalker, the movies or the TV show. Anyway, so just a just a fun trip down memory lane. Uh, you know, Kolchak being the Chicago reporter who keeps, who kept on running into a different monster every week by accident and never, re- and since it was a seventies TV show, since every episode started, starts as if no other episode has happened, he doesn't realize that somehow he's running into a new monster every week. So anyways, so yes, that was a fun, a fun book that I read this, uh, that I read this year.
0: What about science books for children? Any recommendations for that this year?
1: Um, I'm going to give a shout out. Well, first of all, almost every year, Elizabeth Lee Heineke writes a great hands-on book, Ecology for Kids, Biology for Kids, Chemistry for Kids. Great, great exercise. So this year, I think it was Ecology for Kids, and she interviews you know, current ecologist, talks about past ecologists, but gives activities for kids to do. Um, But I'd also like to give a shout out to a local author who is an, uh, an English major, but she's, she's a woman of color. And so she's been trying to write books about scientists of color for kids so they can see themselves in this. And one is called Buzzing with Questions, The Inquisitive Mind of Charles Henry Turner. The author is Janice Harrington, and her second one that just came out is Rooting for Plants, the Unstoppable Charles S. Parker, Black Botanist and Curator. Um, The other one I would recommend is uh, new, brand new Sew Sister, S-E-W, The Untold Story of Jean Wright and NASA Seamstresses, and how they had to actually sew some of the outer paneling on the space shuttles. And I didn't know this story. And it was just great. And the um, illustrations are just, you get lost in them. They're beautiful. So, those are some I recommend.
2: Um, So, for me, I didn't read a lot of kids' books or kids' related books this year. One that I did read was Bomb, the Race to Build and Steal the World's Most Dangerous Weapon. Again, around the development of the the, uh, atomic bomb during World War II. This one focused on some of the, espionage and spy aspects of that it was pretty decent um the one kids book that i did read that has nothing to do with science but uh, that i thought was uh really hilarious was voivode the thrash metal explique aux enfants by pierre pierre it's basically a french kids book about the quebec thrash metal band voivode and it was just hilarious just a hilarious i'm sorry
0: film. i'm sorry did you say there's a kid's book about a what metal band? A thrash, a thrash metal band?
2: Yeah, kind of a thrash prog metal band, Voivod. Wow. Exactly. Isn't it perfect?
0: Yeah, I know a kid that speaks French uh, because his mom is French, um uh, French, uh, but now I really want to get him that book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, it's just a little short, it's just a short little book. It's basically about the history. It's about you know, the founding of this and Voivod is kind of a thrash art weird metal band. And the fact that they have this little, this little kid's book written about them is just hilariously perfect.
0: It's delightful. I am going to get that book immediately, just because it's amazing that it exists. <laughs> what about books you haven't read yet, but are currently on your wish list? All right.
1: So uh, that list is very long, books I plan to read. So one is uh, The Six, The Untold Story of America's First Women Astronauts by Lauren Grush. I've read lots of books on outer space, including early space travel, and uh, women are always included. I've read the autobiography, well, the biography of uh, Sally Ride and many others, but I look forward to this. It's been getting great Rave reviews, so I'll take a look at it. Um, I have two books called Eve. Um, the first one is called Eve: The Disobedient Future of Birth, and it's just the um, an ethicist talking about what birth could look like in the future—artificial wombs, uh, you know, in, artificial insemination, that kind of stuff. All the science that could be happening uh, as far as that goes. And another is Eve, How the Female Body Drove 200 Million Years of Human Evolution by Kat Bohannon. Um, So, of course, I could go on and on, and I'll leave that list with you that you can add to your list, Rochelle. uh, But one I'm interested in, not exactly science, but probably has science in it, is called Eyeliner, a cultural history by Zahara Hankir. So I would assume there is some science in how eyeliner is made but you know how it intersects with culture. So that one is out it's pretty new and I'm looking forward to it.
0: That is exactly the type of book that if the show was not ending this year I would immediately put in my must interview about this because you say it's not a science book but this is exactly in my like wheelhouse of not science science book the sort of cultural history that talks about how something ubiquitous in our world right now like eyeliner came to be and undoubtedly i'm sure it also helps us understand that actually eyeliner has been around a lot longer than we think it has it's probably had a really interesting journey that
1: i have never thought about until you mentioned there's a book about it yeah that i for some reason my eye caught on something Two, three years, a long time ago, that she was writing this book. And I went, I am going to be keeping, keeping my eye out for it. <laughs> and it just came out a couple of weeks ago. I pre-ordered. I'm just like, I am so eager to read this book.
0: Isn't it funny how sometimes we hear about a book somewhere or we hear about a project? Um, and this is one of the things I I like to do sometimes, which is one of the. It's it's partly why I like to look through the like ninety day out, what's coming out in the next ninety days list on Amazon, Mm -hmm. is because you can pre order these books, and then I kind of forget about them because I have a tendency to forget about stuff, and uh, I get I pretty much use only e readers now, so it's not like I receive in the physical mail a book I didn't expect, but at some point I will get an email that says, hey your book's ready. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that book. I pre-ordered that book and now it's out and now I have a new thing to read. And I get really excited about
1: these little time travel gifts I give to myself. I love it too. And from what I understand, these this is actually one of the best way you can support authors is by pre-ordering books. It really helps the publishers and even keeps... um, people who are reviewing books, they keep an eye on this and go, we should probably review that. There've been a lot of pre-orders. So I think it's a really um, very smart thing to do. If, you, if you're so inclined to pre-order, um, I hear it's very good. And I do because, yeah, I get a note that says, your book is here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I forgot I pre-ordered that. So Yeah, it's great. It's, great.
0: It's, it's one of those little ways in which we can give future us a little gift.
1: That's right. And so when I'm excited about what's coming in the future, sometimes I'll just pre-order and then I know it's coming. Although since I had heard about eyeliner so long ago, I mean, I left myself notes in book lists and stuff like that. Don't forget to keep your eye out for this. Don't forget Mm to, yeah, keep an eye on this, see what's going on. Yeah, very. it's very good.
2: So the one that I just started last night, so I guess, you know, haven't read yet, because I'm on page five, is uh, Doppelganger, um, A Trip into the Mirror World by Naomi Klein, which I'm looking forward to. It seems rather weirdly bizarre. Um, one that I just heard about recently that I missed from the beginning of the year that I am going to try and track back. Uh, Dark PR, How Corporate Disinformation Harms Our Health and the Environment by Grant Ennis. And a couple that are kind of sitting on my shelf waiting to be read, Uh, Blood in the Machine, The Origins of the Rebellion Against Big Tech by Brian Merchant, which is, I think, basically about how the Luddites were right. And The Earth Transformed and Untold History by uh, Peter Frankopan, which also looks like one of those, you know, it's one of those giant books that's basically trying to tell the history of the world.
1: And I like I like Doppelganger so I think you'll really enjoy it.
0: What about books you're most looking forward to reading next year? The ones that you can already see on the horizon, maybe ones you've already pre-ordered?
1: Uh, okay, this isn't fair, but Ed Young has announced he has a third book he's working on. So it's not this coming year, but I'm looking forward to it. And since we won't be meeting again, most likely, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Keep your eye for Ed Young's third book, which will be about scale of things in the world. And I'm sure he'll put his own take on it. That will be interesting. But as far as what I can see for next year upcoming, um, there's one called Why We Die, The New Science of Aging and the Quest for Immortality by Vanky Ramakrishnan. Vanky Ramakrishnan won a Nobel Prize in maybe 2013 for his work with mRNA. And he's written a book, his sort of memoir about that journey. But I thought it would be interesting to hear what he thinks about uh, this field, even if he's not directly working in it. Uh, Also coming up is something called The Great River. The Making and Unmaking of the Mississippi by Boyce Upton. That will be July 2024. And uh, this one sounds interesting: Earthly Materials Journeys Through Our Bodies, Emissions, Excretions, and Disintegrations. And that's coming up in February.
2: Yeah, I tend to, I tend not to look too far in advance for a lot of these things. Um, I like to I do check the Amazon lists, and I did a quick check check um that there's one coming out in a few weeks called the lost tomb and other real life stories of bones burials and murders by douglas preston and david grant that sounds uh that sounds like it it could be a lot of fun
0: now hearkening back a little bit to a topic we discussed previously, which was a book that you think you'd like to reread. Um, Something we've never talked about before, but since we're looking back at some of the uh, previous times we've done this episode, what about a book you've recently reread? I'm interested to know, do you still like it? Does it hold up? Did you get anything new from it? So
1: I did already answer this when we were talking about great books. Um, this was the death and life of the Great Lakes, which, uh, and it's by Dan Egan, investigative journalist Dan Egan. And, um, when John recommended it many years ago, I went ahead and read it and I read it again because of Dan Egan's new book about phosphorus. And I loved it still, still as timely, as brilliant as ever. So I, yeah, it's a book worth reading again.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not much of a rereader. Um, I did just rewatch the the, the 1950s War of the Worlds movie the other night, and I uh, and and that was actually pretty entertaining. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I yeah, like I said, I'm not much of a rereader. reader One thing I do go back and reread are a lot of the kind of old Marvel and DC comics of my youth. You know, I'll pick up. Uh, you know, cheap anthologies at our local used bookstore, and and this year, you know, tomb, of, you know, some Tomb of Dracula, Avengers, Fantastic Four, Conan the Barbarian, so you know, a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of uh, that kind of rereading. If you know, if I can pick up something for a couple bucks, uh, it makes some nice uh, relaxing reading.
0: What about a book you're still looking for, but you haven't found yet, either a definitive book on a topic or maybe a topic that you feel hasn't quite been dealt with the way that you want it to be? Or maybe, John, there's something that you're feeling some good incandescent rage building up and you feel like you haven't found that mirror for it yet?
1: Well, my my book, I, I could not think of a science book that I've been dying. Somebody must write it. Um I guess I like being pleasantly surprised by what other people come up. I was just jokingly saying I want the book telling me that Trump is gone and never coming back. I know it's not science, but that's the book I want.
2: (laughs) Oh, if only, (laughs) if only, yeah, if only. (laughs) Although you know, in Canada we seem to be doing pretty well with our Trump light. But anyways, so yeah, this is this was a tough one for me because you know what I tend to be I, I. my own background is computer science. Uh, you know, I studied. Uh, you know, I worked as a. I studied computer science. I worked as a software developer for twelve years, and so I'm not anti-tech. I don't hate technology. You know, but at the same time, I think you know, having seen a few things over the course of the last sixty-one years, I think I have a lot of healthy skepticism and i'm always looking f- i'm always looking for books that balance those two things right because i think most of the books that i see tend to go like to the one extreme or the other and and you know that's i think that's what i look for uh, a lot in my tech books is is ones that i think are clear-eyed without overhyping or without you know i guess catastrophizing Because I'm not, you know, although, again, I have a lot of incandescent rage, I like to think that I don't catastrophize, right? I I try and, you know, have my rage be the real rage as opposed to an imagined rage. Um, So, yeah, so I I think that's what I'm looking for. The book that's on my list that I think could scratch that itch is Blood in the Machine. Uh, certainly the best of Cory Doctorow scratches that itch um but yeah that's that's kind of that's kind of what i'm always that's kind of what i'm always looking for
0: and finally a question that i was thinking about What is your white whale book, if you've got one? The book you've tried to read, maybe you've tried multiple times and haven't made it through, but there's something about it that means or that just kind of keeps hooking you in some way. Maybe you're determined to get through it at some point. I'm curious to know if you have one. And if so, what keeps you coming back and trying? Yeah, this
1: was a tough one for me. And I thought, well, Okay, let, let's say this one. Um, I'm a biologist, so probably be a great idea to read something by Charles Darwin on the Origin of Species, The Voyage of the Beagle. I've read excerpts, of course, and I guess maybe I've always felt that's enough, but there's something in me that says, really, you really should read that. But yeah, so that's the best I could do for this category. I don't. I usually either I get through a book or I say, nope, I'm not doing this book anymore. I've gotten this far and it's not worth it. So which doesn't happen that often. Usually I stick it through. So that's the best I could do.
2: Yeah, for this one, something popped into my mind immediately. And that's um, Green Earth by Kim Kim Stanley Robinson. And so Green Earth is, uh, so this is a science fiction novel. And it's about a thousand pages, and it's basically um, an a a new edition that combines his three science in the capital books from the early two thousands, early mid two thousands. So forty signs of rain, fifty degrees below, and sixty days and counting. And it's kind of a political analysis novelization of the politics around the climate crisis and so this 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 book is from 2015 so so this this updated version is from 2015 and you know i keep looking at it on my shelf i keep thinking to myself i'm going to read that book and it keeps staring me down because it's a thousand pages and you know every summer i think to myself this is the summer i'm going to read this but it keeps staring me down from the shelf Every, you know, winter holiday, I think to this, okay, I've got 12 days off, 1000 divided by 12. I can do that. But somehow I just don't. So yeah, this is this is my white whale.
0: I was hoping that one of you might have a story like that because I don't have a science book story like that, but that's effectively me and Lord of the Rings. I did get through it eventually, but I got Lord of the Rings really early, probably when I was about 10 or so from an uncle. And I must have tried to read that first book a dozen times before I managed to get all the way through it, uh, getting a little bit farther, then a little bit farther, then a little bit farther. I don't think I actually managed to get all the way through it for... Four or five years, but I did always come back and keep trying. And uh, I think about that experience often. Of sometimes, sometimes it's not the right moment for you in a book. Sometimes you have to wait for the right moment.
2: So, interestingly enough, I have a, I have a similar story with Lord of the Rings. It was given to me by an aunt. <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, a, an anthology, a, a one volume version without the appendices was given to me, I guess when I was around 11 or 12. And this was before the Lord of the Rings had become kind of a a phenomenon, right? So we're talking early, mid 1970s. And so, yeah, I did try and read it a couple of times and had trouble getting through it, but somehow I managed to power through the middle of the first book, I think that's what gets you is it starts very slowly and it's hard to figure out where it's going. You know, so it's hard, you, you have to get to the minds of Moria before the narrative sweeps you up, I think, in a lot of ways. And so yeah, that was that was kind of an and by the way, I somewhere around here, I still have that book, and it's probably been by various members of my family. It's probably been read ten times and is pretty beat up, but it's it's quite an important book in my life, it, you know, the physical object. Um, but yeah, that's, I, like I said, I do have a similar story with Lord of the Rings.
0: Well, that is the last official category, but I did want to give both of you the opportunity, if there are any other books you wanted to mention before I close the episode today, now's your opportunity.
1: I think I won't because I couldn't stop. (laughs) But I did say people often ask me what my favorite book of all time is. And I will use that third uh, time travel to say uh, The Emperor of All Maladies, a biography of cancer by uh, Siddhartha Mukherjee, who has written a few other books as well. But that is one book that made me fall in love with popular science books in recent years.
2: Yeah, I think it's also worth mentioning The Immortal Life of, of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. And I think for me, in a lot of ways, that was a really important book in, in re-energizing my engagement with popular science books. Right, because it, 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 it's such an important book in terms of the, the story, but it's also very engaging. And, and an easy read. And so yeah, that's, that's an important book that that I think is, is, is well worth, is well worth mentioning. Right. That's
1: and my if, number two. That's my number yeah. two.
2: <laughs> and, you know, so I'm looking, so one of the things that I did, I did go through my notes in the last 10 years, and to try and figure out, you know, what are, what were some of the really memorable books that I read over the course of the last 10 years? And I've mentioned some of them already. But you know, one from one from just a couple years ago that was republished, right? was the way of the Hive, of a honeybee story by Jay Hostler. You know, again, just such a beautiful graphic novel, such a moving story about the life of a honeybee and uh, the way it personalizes the science and and makes the science very personal, I think was really beautiful. And it's not often you're going to say about a science. Popular science book, you know that it's moving and beautiful, but I think I think that one, you know, I think that one really hits that uh, really well, and hilarious. The hilarious one, right, was the thrilling adventures of Lovelace and Babbage uh, by Sidney Padua. That was again also from a few years ago, which I think is possibly my, you know, one of my one of my favorite uh, sci- kind of science graphic novels, uh, along with Logic Comics. Um, from again, that one's from about 10 years ago. But yeah, so those are a couple of the a couple of the books that I think from the past few years that are really worth mentioning.
0: Well, John, Joanne, it has been wonderful speaking with you for all these years about all these great books. And Maybe we can talk about books again at some future point in some different way, um, because I know both of you, much like myself, will continue to read a lot of science.
1: That would be wonderful.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been I, I I've been thinking a lot of well, the last couple of weeks how this weird project has changed me, and in in ways you know in 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 ways that obviously I wasn't looking to be changed. And I wasn't planning to be changed, but that happened anyways. And so, you know, when you when you have your big blowout episode, if you can thank uh, Desiree for starting this off, that would be that would be highly appreciated.
0: Uh, next time I speak to her, I will definitely pass that along.
2: Because this is all this is all her fault.
0: It is a hundred percent all Desiree's fault. Uh, Desiree Shell, thank you. And your fault.
2: Oddly enough, Borozivkovic's fault. But anyways, that's probably another story.
0: It's a little inside baseball there.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> If you want the list of books we talked about today, check out the show notes for this episode where you can find links to the blog post where you will find the full list along with more links to where you can buy them if you can't find them at your local bookshop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you a couple more times yet on Science for the People. Science for the People is listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount. Your support keeps us afloat and able to keep making great new episodes. And we thank you for it. The show is produced by Bethany Brookshire and Rochelle Saunders and is edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. Our theme song was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern, And its title is Binary Consequence. The show is hosted by Bethany Brookshire, Carolyn Wilkie, and me, Rochelle Saunders.